0: So, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, 5 to 13. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to that. I've been really enjoying this Foundations series. We've talked a lot about this. Is there's so much, as we're cruising through this, there's so much in there. It's. We talked about this in the workshop. The Word of God it is like a, it's like a mine. It's like a gold mine. You can never you can like never come to the end of it. You can never dig deep enough. You can never come to the end of the of the vein, you know, and be like, well, close that one down. I mean, it's just, it can't happen. It's it's amazing. It's really incredible. So, you know, when when we preach the Word, we as we're preparing it, remember the Holy Spirit lives in us. As we're preparing it in faith, we believe that the things that we do pull will be chosen by the Lord for this this group of people, and that's, that's our prayer, um, and that's my prayer today. So Hebrews chapter 2, 5 to 13, and um, just follow along as I read it. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're we're very happy to be here. We think that we could be part of your your family. And uh, us who are undeserving have been adopted in. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead this service today. Let my words be your words and, uh, and yours alone. And let it go into the hearts, Lord, of everyone here. Let your word do the change that it always does as we dig in. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week rob rob uh he came off kind of apologetic he's like hey you know it's not you normally like this here's this big warning and i don't know i thought he was he's quite gentle with us but it's just my opinion but we're talking about as we're going through hebrews he's he's putting the author's putting the case before the jews like who's better jesus right or like the angels and uh i talked to a couple to a couple of you you know like you know the angels aren't really a big deal to uh, like ...to us any, anymore. It's, it's, there's not the same kind of a context. Uh, but it's important to know what's better. The messenger, who was who the angel. The word angel means messenger. Or the message. The message. Or what's better, the message... Or the, ...or the fulfillment of the message. Well, Jesus is better. So Hebrews 2, 5 said... ...for it was not to angels... ...that God subjected the world to come... So angels are their servants; they serve God as people that carry information around. They're messengers, and the world was not subjected to them. So, in and in, in this, we're going to learn about the fact that Jesus is by far the supreme being to angels. So, it's interesting in verse five. It says, "For it is not to the angels that God subjected the world to come; it is Christ." That creation and dominion uh, has been given to. And in him, you guys remember a couple weeks back, well, maybe a month ago, we, did, we learned, we were back in Genesis and we had the dominion or the creation mandate, right? Men and women uh, were stewards put in charge of the planet. And only through Christ is that really fulfilled. Um, I'm going to back up to the previous chapter just to read this one verse. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom... He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus, has been handed off. It's been handed to him. Um, something better has arrived, something better than angels. The message himself has landed. Jesus is the word. He is the word spoken directly, not carried by an intermediate like an angel. He inherited all things, and he became the ultimate king of of the planet. Now he became temporarily, temporarily a literal a little lower than the angels. Uh, as as a result, God crowned him with glory and honor, and was made the supreme ruler. Um, it says you made him for a little while lower than angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, verse seven. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Everything. Now, the next the next statement there is interesting. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, that, that's. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I'm like, huh, that kind of rings true with like what we feel these days. Um, is Jesus really the king, right? Is he really, you know, if we don't see this at present, everything being subjected to him. So, plot, you know, plot spoiler, spoiler alert, he really is the king. Um, the kingdom has come and it will continue to grow, filling the earth, and it is a process. And I was digging into this, reading this question, I, I was it was fascinating, and I was exploring why do we not yet see everything and subjected to Him and under subjection to Him. This is a statement that needs to be answered. It needs to be explored. Um, Isaiah eleven nine says, "The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Now, how how much do the waters cover the sea? Like a lot. A lot, right? Like a hundred percent, one hundred and two percent. It's it's all. It's it's the whole thing. Um, God promises that's going to be the case in this earth. The earth will be filled as the waters cover the sea. Um, clearly, we don't see that yet. We don't see all things out there, you know, under subjection to Christ. But but what? So let me reread verse eight. At present, um, the last part, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We don't see things under his feet, but, but we see him crowned. We see Jesus crowned. He has a crown on, so we shouldn't get caught up with wondering why things are, don't appear to be, you know, aligning with Christ's kingdom out there. Because he's, we see him. He came, and he was crowned. We see Jesus becoming king, and he has a crown. There's your king. He's our supreme king. So thankful. Um, <clears throat> As great as the angels are, they don't rule. Like they're servants, right? They're messengers. Um, their job is to, you know, carry information for God. And uh, God subjected the world to mankind. He didn't subject him to angels. But man, you know, as, as I briefly went over, became broken. And, you know, the fall happened, and we became sinful. And, and our job as stewards of the planet just just got completely out of whack. Just completely destroyed. Um, It's still our job, but it's only fulfillable through Christ. Um, The message, Jesus is the message. So, excuse me. This is all good stuff. Something new has arrived. Jesus is the king. And there's a promise that everything will be so under subjected to him eventually. The water, the knowledge of him will cover the earth like the water covers the ocean, which is a lot. Jesus' arrival was cataclysmic. A lot of changes were kicked off at this time. He fulfilled the law, he founded the kingdom of God on earth, and um, as it is in heaven. He all of time focuses on his arrival. It's the pivot point from the era before him to the era after him. He ended the old covenant, the old era. He fulfilled it, and then he started the new one. For it was not of the angels that God subjected the world to come. It was Christ. So what's the world to come? It's an interesting phrase, and I had to, we have to dig into that. <clears throat> the world to come. Is the world that Jesus kicked off when he hit the planet. Contrast that with the past world. As I referred to before, there was the old covenant and the new covenant. The past world, the world that the author was writing under, was the world that was subject to the law and the dominion of imperfect man, fallen mankind, where the whole population was unable to live up to the standards of God's law. Remember last week how, how Rob went into detail about that. God's law was uh, um, unable to apply righteousness to man. It worked perfectly in the sense that it made mankind see the need for salvation. It was unavoidable, and it just it, w- it needed to happen, but it was unable to, to figure out, it was unable to work that last step in Christ that, that Christ um, was able to do. So, at the time of the at the time of writing of hebrews it was about they guess it was about 65 ad and the the author was in jesus had come and he had he had gone back to heaven the author was in this this period where they were still doing animal sacrifices and so th- it was like this this short transition time of between the old world and the world to come which is what he's writing. So when he's writing this, he was before, just before the world to come. It was about ready to hit on all cylinders. And five, in five to eight years after he wrote this, the temple was was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And all the, the last vestiges of this old system was done away with. Um, all the animal sacrifices came to an end. Um, the temple was destroyed. God would no longer dwell in a building... Like in the Middle East, right? So that was done away with. Now God dwells in us, in our hearts. And he writes his law on our hearts. Wildly different. The world to come is the only world we've ever known, right? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, along with everyone who lived in the last, you know, last uh, bit of time. It's been a minute. Uh, The kingdom of God has landed, and we're currently living in the days after this change. Jesus is the one who accomplished this. He's the one that cataclysmically came to the earth, stopped the old system, started the new perfect system. Let's go back to uh, verse 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. During his time on earth, Jesus was made a little lower. So what does that mean? Well, he humbly emptied himself. You guys, we've been learning about the the kenosis passage. That's a fancy word for emptying, right, in in the Greek. And uh, we've been, as families, trying to memorize that from Philippians. uh, He became human in short. He became human, able to be harmed, right, able to hurt, able to be tempted, uh, able to feel pain, and able to die. And so God crowned him with glory and honor and he was made the supreme ruler which he himself testifies you know in matthew when he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and so going to verse 8 putting everything in subjection under his feet um he left nothing outside his control and at present we don't see everything in subjection to him this is good stuff so the uh even the Jewish Christians back in that time, having believed in Jesus, were under great pressure from like the, the Jews who were still in the old system, and you know they had the Roman uh, culture and the Greek culture, and there they're, they were under a lot of pressure to abandon the faith. It seemed like Jesus kind of went away, and you know just like just like we see when we look out the door, like eh, it doesn't really seem like everything's under subjection. I thought he was going to be the king. What's going on? What's going on out there? So. In order to strengthen their faith, he's he's making in this passage an ironclad case for the supremacy of Christ, and that's what we're learning about today. Um, He acknowledges the fact, you know, that it didn't, didn't appear to be done, and it's important important for us to to realize that. So, you know, when we're when we're thinking about that, we think, I don't know about you guys, but I always would tend towards, eh, not really. Yeah, maybe. You know, like Jesus the king, like, yeah, what good is that? You know, like his clown world out there, right? It doesn't really seem, you know, partially, you know, that's, you know, clearly a lack of faith. And in the past, it's, it's a total lack of knowledge of God's word that would lead me to have these conclusions. Um, and we all, you know, struggle with that when we see just the absolute insanity going on <laughs> going on in the culture. And I don't even need to, to go into all that. Um so what, what do we need to do? We need to believe Jesus' own words. Jesus is the Lord God, and he has some things to say about this. Now, I, I briefly went over it before, but I want to go into this in some detail. Um, we can't go around with these wrong ideas of what this will be or what this will look like because, like you guys, like, you know, I… I was losing faith based on – because what I see wasn't based on what the Bible said. It wasn't matching up. But the problem wasn't this. It was me not knowing this, God's word. Um, Jesus says certain things about this, and we have to pay attention. We need to constantly educate ourselves from God's word. In his many parables, he teaches us that the kingdom comes in a slow, gradual manner. He does, like the growth of the, of the tiny mustard seed that grows to a big tree, and then the birds land in the branches, and, or you know the, um, the yeast working through the dough. So it's a process, and it's slow, but it is certain. It's slow, but sure. Um, it's slow, but sure. He's constantly working on this process, and we can see it. How can we see it? Well, remember, who's, who, who's Jesus' body? Like, that's the church. The church, we are Christ's body. We're Christ's body. And so when you see someone working for the Lord and following and applying these precepts that Jesus laid down for us, you're seeing him work in this world. Um, it's us. So Jesus is ahead, right? He's reigning from his throne in heaven, and we're the body here on earth doing the work. Um, doing the will of the head through his power. And we are empowered by his spirit. So everything you do for Christ builds this kingdom that's coming gradually. When we follow his commands, his goals are achieved here. When you follow our commands, his goals are not achieved. And it makes everything take longer. Makes sense. Um, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So imagine... I, I heard this uh, somewhere, but imagine an evil, evil kingdom, right? This is like, this is like medieval times. So all the peasants live far and wide in this place, and there there is a wicked king in the in the palace, and no one obeys the law. And it's like the king is a big meanie, and you know there's there's famine and every there's random public punishment, and it, and things are generally pretty dismal. So imagine a good man was one day sneaks into this palace of this evil wicked king. They have the duel. Swords at midnight. He gets to, um, the, the new guy, defeats the old guy and throws him in prison and becomes the new king. So what does he do next? Well, he, he, has, he has some friends. He has heralds. His heralds are a guy. A herald is a person that takes the news out. So he sends his heralds out into the forests and the fields around this palace to bring news to the scattered peasants. The news that there is a new king in the palace, so they pack up their their walking stick with the bag on the end and they and they head out to do their job. So as they pass through the fields and the forest of this little kingdom, they tell everybody they meet the good news. Now they're met with like two responses, right? So I'm I'm a peasant hoeing my dirt farm, and this guy, this herald, walks up and says, "Hey, there's a new king in the palace, and I've lived here for 50 years, and things are generally uh, pretty dismal." And so I can have one of two responses. Uh, I could say, that's fantastic. About time. I've been waiting for this to happen because my life stinks and I'm super excited about this news. Or you can have the, you know, maybe he walks up to another peasant and the guy's like, no, no, look at this. Everything's still the same. Like there's, there's the guard like beating up on the, you know, on the town, whatever. He's just, things still look really bad. So you've got a believer and you've got an unbeliever. So belief or unbelief doesn't change the fact that there's a new king in this palace, right? Back at the palace. You can't see the palace. You know, it's it's on the other end of the kingdom. Any peasant giving either of these answers is either, you know, each peasant is under the authority in 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 reality of this new king. He just doesn't know it yet. All of this is factual truth. And some believe, some disbelieve. The believing one, the one, the guy who believes it, will start living out this new reality. And the guy, you know, he'll he'll follow the new rules as he hears them, as they as they filter down through the countryside um, to this king he hasn't seen personally, he hasn't seen yet. In contrast, the unbelieving peasant is going to be like he's going to live life exactly like he did the day before, because everything looks the same, and he can't look out his window, and there's no. You know, there's no, there's no money flowing. These crops are still, you know, getting stolen. And, you know, things look the same. So he's going to disbelieve. He's not going to, you know, somebody will say, here's a new rule for the new king. He's going to go, it's all made up. It's all made up. So the kingdom, from the start of the new king's reign, will enter this period of, of change. And it's a, it's a gradual change. As the news spreads, more and more peasants will start believing, right, over time, As they start seeing results, and more will start living under this new reality, it will affect how they live. The day after the new king arrives, right? You could look in any corner of this kingdom, and it'll look identical to the day before, right? Before the before the um, the new king got into power, the guards are still mean, the people are still suffering. But fast forward fifty years, you're starting to see better roads, like more improvements. You know, the rules are coming out from the, the other end of the kingdom, from the palace. They're starting to seem a little bit more fair. And uh, things are starting to change. The influence will grow into this kingdom over time. Some people will, will they're, they've been believing, they'll be following the new rules. You still have disbelievers. You'll still have people going, I don't know, it seems the same to me. It'll happen so slow they don't notice. But if you fast forward 100 years, News of the of the new king are, is everywhere. Pretty much everybody knows it's a fact. Maybe he came to came to your little village one day. Maybe it's just things are noticeably better and you believe. It's a well established fact. After a long time, any people who still disbelieve at that point are just are just being willfully uh, rebellious. And so, we church are a combination of like the heralds and the peasants who believe. We're a combination of the people who are telling the the culture that you guys have a king and it's Jesus. You may not think so, but it is it is a fact. And we're the believing we're the believing people. We're commanded to advance the kingdom in two ways. We're to make disciples of the whole earth. Why? Because all authority has been given to him and we're to pray as Jesus taught us your kingdom come and your will be done. What does that mean? It means God finds it important that we pray every day for this to happen as well as work at it. Right? So we've got two commands to bring to help bring Christ's kingdom. Your life as a believer is not wasted effort praying for and living out this This glory, living for the glory and purpose of Christ, will steadily bring about the change that he wants to bring. And the world over time becomes, um, has more knowledge of him and subjection to him. He promises to bring it about. Isaiah 9 7 says, Of the increase of his government and the peace, and of peace, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That sounds. Crazy, doesn't it? You mean it's never going to stop becoming more peaceful, and he will never stop increasing his, his power over the earth? It says, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Friends, we, we have a God who's zealous about making this happen, but he's not an impatient God. He takes his time. Verse 8, as I said, follows that up. At present, we don't see everything except in subjection, but we see Jesus crowned. We see him crowned, and we don't have to worry about it. He's the king. He has a crown. He's arrived in glory and honor. We just need to stop worrying about it. He's our king, and we can trust him. So verse 10, it was fitting that he, but for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should he make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And after being made lower than, of, after being made lower than the angels, he had a great cost. He had to suffer Um his glory and honor came as a result of his undeserved suffering and death. So the angel, like the angel back to the angels, they never died for anybody, right? They're they're just messengers. This level of self sacrifice by the one who made everything is think about it. The creator of the universe was came down and saved us through suffering. It's real. It's a real next level concept. Um, his suffering resulted in becoming, in a most fitting manner, the founder of salvation, as he was the founder of all life itself. So he's the founder of life itself, and then he founded our salvation. So he's, it's the idea, is like he's the alpha and the omega, right? He's the beginning and the end. And Jesus is definitely supreme. The word fitting is interesting here. The word fitting, I had to look this up. The Greek word means it's to stand out, to be conspicuous. Right to be imminent, so there's more to this there's there's more flavor to this word than like appropriateness like it was appropriate there's there's way more it's to stand out it's a conspicuous over and even glaringly unusual uh, kind of a blatant in your face fact that he of all of all beings would be the one to suffer for us for the king of kings to humbly do this himself is extremely. Conspicuous; it's extremely conspicuous. It's eminent. It's it's this fact that you're like, wow. It should humble us. It should put us in awe of what he did. And what's more fitting than the King of Kingdoms, King of Kings himself, than to be the one that saves his own people? So, this next phrase: the found, He uh, make the founder of, of their suffering perfect through suffering. Right at the end of verse ten, what does that mean? Because he was fully God, Jesus wasn't imperfect. Right he, before this, before this happened, as if he was he was pretty good, but just had some like little improvements. Um, he didn't he didn't need his robe cleaned or his shoes shined. Uh, he didn't. God did. God the Father didn't have to like sanctify him or, or fix him. Before he could live a perfect life. That's not what this word means. The the word perfect, using the Greek here, means to be finished or fulfilled. To add what is still needed to make something complete. So Jesus was not lacking anything in his person. But rather, the completion of our salvation was lacking in the sense that it had not yet been completed. It had not yet been finished or fulfilled. Or done in its entirety, if that makes sense. He is the primary figure of our salvation and, um, his status at a certain point in time ha- hadn't been completed. And so that's what this, this word means. Um, he became our perfect and complete savior once the work of saving had been perfected or completed by, by what? By his suffering. He experienced a suffering of the worst type. He suffered. What's the worst type of suffering? You suffer until you're dead. He endured it for us. He endured death for us so that we would be spared. So we will physically die, right? It's a temporary condition. Physical death is a temporary condition. Until you know someday when he defeats death in its entirety, the last enemy he he defeats will be death, says in Isaiah. Um after the long advancement of God's kingdom has completely flooded the earth with the knowledge of him as the waters cover the sea. We'll, we real, will be raised again with him on that day. The physical death we experience has no sting. He says, death, where is your sting? And we don't need to fear that. We don't. Spiritual death is what he saved us from, and it's far worse because it's permanent. Spiritual death is permanent separation from God. End of story. That is what we're saved If you believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross and repent of your sins, you will not face permanent spiritual death. Praise the Lord. It's good news. Um, The word founder in this statement comes from the Greek word archagon. And this word also means leader, and some some translations use the word captain here. He's the founder, the captain of our salvation. And this... We have to come back to the fact that he's the supreme king. In other words, we don't, we don't act as if we have no king. We have to obey the one who is our king. There is no way to join the ranks of the, of the captain and then keep going our own way. To reject one is to reject the other. We don't get our salvation and then get to be our own king. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Um, he didn't save us to have us continue on our own path. And we should not imagine that disobeying his commands doesn't come with consequences. So we're saved in order that we can do his work. He is our captain. And there's there's a lot of, of cool um, things in this word here in order that we can work for him and do his commands and build his kingdom. So moving on to verse 11. He's our supreme brother. Interesting. 11 to 13, it says, For he... Who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, for all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So let's talk about this, this family aspect. Of, of what jesus did so he's our supreme king he's our supreme savior and he's our supreme brother so for this um the kids and i have been doing going through the westminster confession and it's been really helpful It's just this little tiny book and it, there's one in modern english and there's one in old english and uh it, it's nice because what they do is they distill some of these uh, these theological ideas that are kind of hard to you know, like they're pulled from so many spots, and it, it's it's hard to, in a nutshell, put those out for your kids, especially your young ones, to easily easily digest. And so this is what the um, Westminster Confession says. What benefits in this life are shared by those who are effectively called or saved? In this life, those who are effectively called share in justification, adoption, as we're talking about here, and sanctification, and the further benefits in this life which accompany or flow from them. Since Jesus paid the price for our sin, taking on God's punishment, right? God has to punish sin because he's pure and impartial. He adopts us into his family. We're adopted, we're justified, and we're sanctified. So what do these three words mean? Justification is what happens right away when you're saved. The second you're saved, you're justified. And it's an act of God's free grace... In which he pardons all of our sins instantly at the moment of salvation, and accepts us as righteous in his sight for the sake of the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to us and received by faith alone. When you're saved, you're justified. His righteousness is applied to us. That's extremely good news. Um, I know I needed that. No one, anyone else, <laughs> adoption. Next is an act of God's free grace in which we are received into God's family with all the privileges as his children. We become family members from the same spirit, as it says in here, the same source as Christ himself. Uh, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He, Jesus is our brother. And sanctification, the third thing, is the work of God's free grace by which are continually continually transformed into the image of God over time. Sounds familiar, right? This is the gradual getting better part over time. We are sanctified, not instantly, we still have sin, but I'm not the same person I was ten years ago, and everyone in this room can attest to that for themselves as well. We're sanctified over time by the by the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that he is not ashamed to call us brothers it really is profound. So remember who this person who calls us brothers is he's the king. He grants us it's a great honor to be called a brother by Christ himself. Even to the point of publicly and gladly acknowledging it out in the open. Right. Out in the open. This should not fill us with pride but great humility. This is a gift you know example think of a clean cut family there's nobody nobody like that here but think of another clean cut family no no uh, <laughs> you know and even the best like put together family has got like a third like wayward third cousin or something and as great as this family is they'll he'll their their wayward third cousin you know he, he gets invited to thanksgiving or whatever but they don't go around saying hey this is my cousin Hey, hey, this guy! Look at this guy! You know, bring it. Hey, come over to you know this thing, and you know, even even the best family is kind of like like we love this guy, like blood is thicker than water and all that. But you know, uh, so we're the wayward third cousin in this relationship. Jesus proudly and openly calls us his brothers, but we don't deserve to be in this family. It's not by anything we did. It's because he adopted us. In I mean, we've got the flaws. We're, you know our shoes are untied and we're rough around the edges, but Jesus says, "You're my brothers." He unashamedly speak. You know, it even says, "I will put my trust in him." He affiliates with us as siblings. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Um, he is our supreme older brother. This remember, this is building a case. For the supremacy of Christ, how He's better than the angels, and He's speaking to these original early Jewish Christians who are like, don't know if this is working out. Um, it seems kind of theoretical, but He says, "Look at Jesus. Look at His crown. He has a crown." I wrote a little. Bo- I put a little box on your notes. I like to draw when people are preaching. It helps me think. There's a space where you can draw Jesus' as crown, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. And I'm curious as to how that's going to end up. So, how do we apply this? We've been given the word, and it should be supreme in our lives. We need to keep organizing our lives around the truth, as Rob says, a lot. It's not our truth to bend. It's not our truth to dress up or to, or to make it palatable or to make it relevant, right? We bend to his truth. So ask yourself these three questions. Do you believe Jesus is the king right now and is building his kingdom? Number two, do you trust that Jesus is the perfect founder of our salvation? And number three, do you live and act as if you're adopted in God's family? It has practical applications. There's, there's consequences. The truth is true whether you believe it or not. You could ignore the truth and embrace what is false, but it will derail your faith and it derail you off God's path. When you believe something is true, what's the next step? Well, you'll act on it. If I don't believe something is true, I'm not acting on it. If I don't believe there's a new king over in the palace on the other side of the mountain, I'm just going to go along with my life as normal. But if I do... That changes everything. We get – our faith is built together here in the body. We build each other's faith, and we read the words of God. We must submit ourselves to these facts. We must continue to organize our lives around the gospel, around these truths. What we're doing here is we're building a culture that is holy. What does the word holy mean? Set apart, right? We're set apart We're set apart from the culture out in the world. We're we're the body of Christ. We're, as a group of people, are where God dwells. We're where God lives in us, on the earth. We are his hands and feet. He is the king right now, and he's building his kingdom with you in it. We need to believe this. It's not fully here. We don't see it all yet. We're somewhere in the middle of this process. But we shouldn't worry or fret about it. This is good news. He promises to finish the kingdom. The zeal of the Lord will will do this. Number two, Jesus is the perfect founder of our salvation. We need to trust him on this. He paid a great price and was given glory and honor and a crown for what he did. This is the real deal. If you've repented of your sins and you believe in in faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross, then your salvation is secure. If you haven't yet, just repent and believe. Find someone to help you do that. Because if you don't, you'll have to answer for your own faults. You guys remember last week, Rob said, and that go, and that won't go well, but he said it in kind of a more ominous, I, I don't have his physical stature, so I can't. It won't go well for you if you like relying on yourself to answer for your life. It won't. Jesus is the only way To salvation and we need to trust him on that it is something only he can do having been saved by God's grace your status as full member of God's family is secure we need to live this out we need to live like it's true with that with that given this how am I interacting with my wife today how am I interacting with my kids like I'm a member of God's family My kids are a member of God's family. Well, that you know, I can't, I can't be my own king here. I gotta follow God's word. Um, This has practical effects. So we're not lone wanderers who just come to church because it's socially acceptable. I mean, fifty years ago, right? It's not socially acceptable anymore. We're not just trying to be good. This is our family. This is our family. This is where our home is. God is your father, and Jesus is your brother. So, to close, the vine and branch has a unique place, has a unique role. We are building a culture, a godly culture, that will advance his kingdom. And if every church does this, this will have an effect. We we didn't, you know, with the elders and sit together and bring in a consultant and figure this out, right? This is a plain fact that's been proven by the past, what, 13 years-ish? Um, it's, it's the legacy of this church. We all need to keep embracing it. This is a unique family, a unique culture, and it will continue to grow deep as we trust, believe, and live in Jesus The culture outside is is dying. right? It doesn't – it seems big, and it seems immovable and powerful, but it's a culture of death. It has no future. It has no future. Everything about sin is going to die. It has to end. There's no future in it. And we need to start pretending as if part of our life is in that culture. It's not. It's in this culture. It's in the church of God. It's in the body of Christ. So we need to set apart ourselves to the Lord and his work. And we will reap the benefits of family and fellowship that I talked about earlier. We'll reap real benefits. We need to raise our children as family members in God's family, as citizens of the kingdom that's going to last forever. The kingdom that will never stop growing. We're raising our kids for those of you to have them into that. And if you're single, get with your bros, get with your your sisterhood, your brotherhood. You guys are pulling each other along. You're you're members of God's family, you're members of God's kingdom and it and it won't get smaller or stop growing. So to um to close, use the wealth, the information and the tools that the king has uniquely given you to love and to care for each other in this family. Re- read your Bibles. Repent of your sins. And forgive each other. Heavenly Father, we thank you for adopting us. It's it's a powerful thing. Definitely not deserve Jesus. We thank you for your perfect salvation. We thank you that you are our captain and our founder. The founder of our salvation and uh, it's, by, it's nothing that we've done. It's, it's all you from start to finish. We're grateful for that. Thank you for these words. I pray that they would go into our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.